Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in the heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. For once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free of accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. Good morning. Grace and peace to you. So I have these paintings by Jess. And I keep them around. And uh, really, they don't have much value. I probably couldn't sell them. You know, maybe a, a buck or two at a yard sale. They, they really don't have any value. Probably not. But they have value to me because Jess painted them. And I keep them around. Now, why do I keep these around? They're not even hanging on our wall. They're actually in trash bags stored in the loft of our garage. <laughs> but again, I don't want to throw them away just yet or get rid of them. 
because I value them because I value the person who made them. I value the person who made them. And this same line of thinking, it's one of the reasons why I'm an advocate for creation care because God made this world. I don't believe God made a a throwaway world. He made it and he called it good. And as a worshiper of the creator, I value his creation. I want to care for his creation. And so today uh, we have a sermon on creation care. Now, recently we all experienced here in the Northeast the smoky pollution that came down from the Canadian forest fires, right? We got to see the apocalyptic orange and and uh, sometimes we even got to smell that, that smell. It was like, is somebody burning incense? And you're like, oh, no, like the Canada's on fire. And uh, we were all reminded how much we value fresh, clean air. I hope you guys made it through those couple of days well with, you know, without getting into any fits of coughing or any serious issues and, and things like that. Some of you perhaps were introduced to how they describe this pollutant. It's called PM 2.5. Perhaps that, that was the first time you heard of, 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 of PM 2.5. What is PM 2.5? It's particulate matter at two and a half microns or less. There's also just a technical or, or a, a trade name for it that, that we, we call it soot. It's soot in the air. It blanketed the sky. We were breathing it in. Now, did you know that for many people around the world, chronic exposure to PM 2.5, that's actually just like an everyday reality. They go out of their house and they breathe it in. In fact, if you were to die of air pollution, if that was the, the cause of your death, if you were to die of air pollution, six out of 10 chances, the leading cause of that of that pollution, it it would be PM 2.5, soot. Here in the States, according to one study on preterm birth situations, here in the United States, one in nine pregnancies results in preterm birth. Now, the leading cause of preterm birth is intrauterine inflammation, and the leading cause of this inflammation is PM 2.5. Right? We don't have to wait around for Canadian fires to, to really uh, think or, or experience this, this type of soot that, that we breathe in. Also, did you know, when pollutants such as uh, nitrogen oxides and other volatile organic compounds, when that reacts to sunlight, ozone is formed, ground-level Ozone. We, we want ozone to be up there. We don't want it down here. Ground-level ozone is bad. We also know that warmer temperatures, chemistry tells us, warmer temperatures create more ozone, and we also call this smog. The American Lung Association, they have a, a state-of-the-air report in 2022. This report states that more than 40% of Americans actually live in places with unhealthy levels of ozone or particle pollution. That's 137 million people breathing in dirty air. And so it's pollutants like PM2.5, ground-level ozone. 
That's linked to asthma and allergies and autism and dementia and cardiopulmonary diseases and chronic kidney disease and and, uh, type 2 diabetes, hypertension, lung cancer, pneumonia. I could go on and, oh, yeah, just plain shorter lifespans. The soot that we experienced in the air last week, that was from forest fires. But really, globally, if we just take a global look, most of the dirty air that we breathe in is just from stuff that we burn. Combustion, power plants, cars, trucks, industry. Now, my wife has allergies, and she has a light case of of asthma. But really, whatever triggers it, I, I hate it when her lungs get tight. I really do. I hate it. And, you know, if Jess and I ever have kids or your kids, right, your kids' kids, I absolutely, I want our kids to be able to breathe fresh, clean air. That is something I value. And so to circle back, why do I advocate for clean air? Well, one of the reasons is because God made it. This is God's world, and I value his creation. God also wants me to love my neighbor. And you know what? I've, I find it's very loving to want my neighbors to have fresh, clean air. And so I don't know where all of you sit with creation care, how much you know about it, what you think about environmental stewardship, conservation, preservation, green initiatives, and so on. I'm sure we all map with different preferences and opinions with with things like this. But I just want you to consider this this morning. I invite you to consider that creation care is a gospel issue within the lordship of Jesus Christ. Creation care is a gospel issue within the lordship of Jesus Christ. And now a good question to ask getting started is like, okay, what, what does the Bible say? It's a great question. There's actually, there's many passages we could pull from to talk about creation care. We could start in Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2. Some great framework there. There's agrarian practices in the Old Testament, in the Torah, there, there's, um, the, you know, the first five books of the Bible. The, the Psalms talk about rejoicing and creation. And, and there's, there's, there's wisdom in the Bible that, that helps frame out earth care practices, creation care, environmental stewardship. If we value God's creation simply because he made it, if we value fresh air, if we value fresh, clean water, and it's like, yeah, we don't like pollution, if we want to consider creation care as part of our Christian responsibility and mission and all of that, then where's a good place to start? Well, I say, let's go to this Christ-centered hymn in Colossians chapter 1. That is a great place to start. So that's what we're looking at today. Jess just read it. Colossians 1, um, this, this hymn, this poem that is in your New Testament, Colossians 1, 15 to 20, That's what we'll be mostly looking at here uh, this morning. So as you turn to Colossians chapter 1, this is a prison letter written by the Apostle Paul, a prison letter. So he's writing to the house churches in Colossae. And you need to know this sits in a time of there's you have your 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 old school paganism mixed with uh, other local gods. And there's also the, the Gnostic and Stoic philosophies. We won't get into all of that. But, you know, there's other worldviews, other philosophies that are, that are out there. And, and uh, we have Nero, 
the Roman Empire, this military rule of Rome. So this is a, this is a dangerous world, a lot of mixture, a lot, a lot going on. And, and now um, perhaps there's some, some Jews that are, are doing their Judaism there. And so that's, that's definitely different from, from everybody else. But now on top of that, there's, there's this new group of, of these Jesus people. They worship the, the crucified one, this, this resurrected one. Like, what's going on here? There's this new group of, of faith people in Colossae. And Paul is writing a letter to them. And Paul is encouraging this young church. He gives them this hymn that, that really it's... it's um, it's quite dangerous. It dangerously puts Jesus at the center of all things. And what Paul does is he gets out his cosmic paintbrush, his cosmic paintbrush, and he's going to paint this colossal portrait of Christ. And what we'll see here is that Christ is both the agent of creation and the agent of redemption. Christ is central. Christ is supreme. Christ is Lord. And so today, we're going to try to hang our lesson on eight statements. They're in your, your bulletin there. And the first one is this. It's that Christ rules and reveals God. Christ rules and reveals God. Verse 15, Jesus Christ, the Son, the only begotten Son, the Son is the image of the invisible God. Paul doesn't say that Jesus is made in the image of God. Paul says that he is the image, the icon of God. Nero, I'm sure Nero loves to have his face everywhere, on coins, on posters, billboards, right? You go to the theaters and there's a, there's a nice trailer about Nero, right? Like, no, no, watch out, Nero. Jesus is the image of God. So this expression, image of God, it might remind us about Adam and Eve because they were made in the image of God. They're supposed to sub-rule on God's behalf. They had this royal-like vocation, but it ended up being tarnished with, with sin. You guys know this story. But good news, Jesus is here. He is going to image correctly, and he is going to rule over creation. Verse 15 continues, Christ is the firstborn over all creation. Firstborn is a title. It's a status. Paul doesn't say he is the first created, but he uses this household analogy to talk about priority and preeminence. Because Jesus has this title of firstborn, he is the image that we are conformed into, Romans 8.29. Because Jesus is the firstborn, he is the one we worship, Hebrews 1.6. And that means, as Hebrews 12.23 puts it, that makes us. We are the church of the firstborn. We are the church of the firstborn. We are brought, you are brought under his identity. We are brought under his lordship. And so as it, as it relates to all of creation, as it relates to God the Father, both these titles, we put them together. Jesus is the firstborn. He is the icon, the image of God. The firstborn and the image of God. It's pointing to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Number two, Christ is the reason for creation. Verse 16, 
For in Christ all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Christ and for Christ. Christ is the center of the entire cosmos. The creator is the center of the cosmos, and this means that everything else is creation. Everything else is creation, and Christ rules over it. And there are things unseen. There are power structures. There are systems. There are things that we don't even know yet because science hasn't like found them yet. But guess what? Christ is already there, and Christ is ruling over it. He is Lord. He is Lord. There's no threat inside or outside of Christ's creation, his, his reign, his cosmos. There is nothing that can threaten this cosmos that threatens his, his, uh, his sovereignty. Jesus is in control. So watch out, Nero. Watch out, Roman Empire, how you trample and destroy the earth and its people. And you know what? Yeah, it's not supposed to be this way. Exploitation, abuse, neglect, degradation of earth, of people, of animals, of air, of everything. Like, man, something has gone wrong. And it doesn't say it here in this hymn. So it is assumed something has gone wrong. Something has gone horribly wrong. And the consequence of this happening means that there is a need for reconciliation. And of course, we're talking about the fall of humanity into sin. In God's good world, there's a breakdown of major relationships. There's a breakdown between our relationships. There's a breakdown between our relationship and God. There's a breakdown between the relationship between the human custodians, the, the, the stewards of creation and the rest of creation. Just alienation and estrangement all over the place. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8. The fall of humanity put creation into frustration. And now creation, it just wants to be liberated from the bondage of decay. This planet cannot wait until its planet managers are restored back and they're doing what they're supposed to be doing for the glory of God. And so, yes, there is a big need for reconciliation. Which leads us to point number three. Christ is the reconciler of all things. Reconciliation here is a relational term. Jesus puts an end to the estrangement. How does he do it? He does it by the cross. The crucifixion of Christ, his death on the cross, was the way that, that, that God accomplishes this, this healing, this reconciliation, this restoration, the peacemaking. The ruler of all things is the reconciler of all things. Christ brings renewal. I'm reminded of, of this quote I love by Dorothy Sayers. God had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he is playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and played fair. Verse 20, Christ reconciled all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. All things, all things. It says it about five times in this, this passage. All things are reconciled to himself. 
And there's this mind-blowing fullness of victory and peace that comes from the cross. Next, number four, Christ has this all-encompassing preeminence. Okay, verse 17. Christ is before all things. He is above all things. Again, this is a statement about status and rank. Jesus is the first. Jesus is the best. He's in first place. He's probably not just superior. No, he is superior. He is. He is. The creator Christ is before all things. And he's also super present in such a way that he's also the sustainer of all things. Number five, Christ is the sustainer of all things. In Christ, all things are held together. It's because of who he is and what he is. There is no question that he is the one who sustains the cosmos. The one who is above all things. The one who is before all things. That's the guy who can do this. Every day we live in this world of, uh, of uh, it's, it's an illusion of independency, right? We, we, we think we're in control. If we want like, you know, Wawa coffee or Starbucks or something, we, we think we have the control to be able to do that. And like we completely forget how much we depend on like the coffee growers and the the transportation and like getting it all together and the economics and Starbucks doing its thing and Wawa. Like like, there's so much that goes into play. There's so much that is behind the scenes. We live in this illusion of, of being independent. We rely on the creator to keep order, stability, the productivity of the universe. We rely on that every single day. The creator of the cosmos, he's also the redeemer of the cosmos. He is also the sustainer of the cosmos. And there's more because actually in all of this, Christ also created this entity that he plops down in the middle of all of this and he calls it his church. Verse 18, Christ is the head of the body, the church. So this is number six. Christ is the head of the church. This renewal movement within creation. A renewal society within society. Christ is the head of this church. The only one who delivers and sustains life for the church is Jesus. And as Lord, he's the head of the church and he brings unity to the church. And if the church is the body, the body is to be in alignment with the head. He is Lord. We serve the Lord. So I want you to see in this cosmic painting of Christ, Paul starts with the cosmos, then he kind of narrows down to the church, and now he's he's getting down a little bit more to the individual level. Paul tapers down to the people. It's like more on the, the, the Colossi level, our level. We'll take a look at verses 21 and 22 and look at point number seven. Christ reconciles believers. Once you... Yes, you Colossians, you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free of accusation. What we just read there is this cosmic renewal 
as it's available for us too. We did not create ourselves, nor do we redeem ourselves. Of all the distortions and defects of old creation, the good news is that has been judged on the cross and it has been dealt with. And now we, as we come into belief with Jesus, as we come into alignment with Jesus, we are people of new creation. We totally depend on Lord Jesus to do this. We, we totally depend on his spirit. After uh, crucifixion came resurrection. And what that means is that the future rushed back into our time. The resurrection of Jesus is the ushering in of new creation. Resurrection. New creation. It gives us hope. Jesus is the first to experience resurrection. He is Lord and new creation too, which leads us to number eight. Christ has supremacy and new creation. Circle back to verse 18. Christ is the beginning. He's the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Christ is supreme. He's the beginning. He's the first to experience resurrection. He's the firstborn. He is supreme in new creation. And Christ, besides his blood giving us the the forgiveness of of sin, and we could think of all the, the, the theology that goes into atonement, there's more good news. Christ has defeated the world's greatest tyrant, death. And in Christ, we get to share in his resurrection. We get to share in that. We, too, are victorious over death. And so the Creator brings reconciliation and healing to the entire cosmos. The world will be made new. And we have hope that, in, that everything that's out of sorts, someday it will come into proper alignment, proper relationship with God, the Father, Son, and Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Someday, everything that's out of sorts will come back together. And this cosmic renewal, it's extended to all of you. It's extended to all of us. Cosmic renewal is extended to you, this is the gospel. The good news that God's embrace of grace, it comes to you through the Son, raptures your heart, catches you, brings you peace, brings you healing, brings you transformation. It changes your life. As theologian Tom Wright puts it, the invitation uh, is not to be renewed away from creation, to have this private faith and then you let the world go to hell. No, rather, you get to be a part of the pilot project for the renewal of the cosmos. Cosmic renewal can happen to you. It also happens through you. Christ has achieved the reconciliation of the cosmos on the cross And now it needs to be implemented. It's been achieved, and now it needs to be implemented. Tom Wright has this beautiful analogy. It's like a a composer. Someone writes this amazing uh, symphony, 
It's amazing music. It's all on paper. But it doesn't just stay there. Okay, it's been accomplished, but now it needs to be implemented. Go out and make the music. Go out and make the music, church. So yes, you get to be a part of God's renewal project. You are invited, dear Christian, to implement new creation. And the way that it happens is first it happens to you. God awakens the soul of the believer. It happens to you so that it can happen through you. And then Paul continues this new creation church, verse 23. Dear church, continue in your faith. Be established and firm. Do not move from this hope held out in the gospel. Do not move from this hope of new creation of resurrection, of that this hope that Jesus is making all things new and he does all things well. Do not move from this hope that is held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard. It's been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and I of which, Paul, have become a servant. Paul's like every creature knows old creation has been dealt with. New creation is coming. And perhaps now, even small glimpses of the Lordship of Christ show up when a dear saint picks up trash off the ground. May his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And this is why I think creation care is a gospel issue within the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I believe when we operate out of this framework, when we operate out of the framework of the, of the Lordship of the resurrected Christ, the one who makes all things new, we can calibrate some of the stumbling blocks that we have around environmental care, stewardship, action, advocacy, and things like that. As Christians, we get to be participants of new creation today. God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And so it is under the lordship of Christ. Yeah, we are challenged to bring our ecological and environmental views under his lordship. What does it mean to be a steward, a gardener, to have dominion? What does it mean to subdue, to guard, to protect? to Sabbath well, wise use of our resources. What does it mean to behold the lilies? Some of you might know, all of you might know, maybe none of you know, I don't know. (laughs) I am pursuing a, a doctoral degree and I am devoting my doctoral studies to examining the evangelical approach to creation care, environmental stewardship. I believe it's important. And I believe a simple Bible-believing Christian is actually well-positioned and uniquely more qualified to advocate for the earth, way more than an atheist expert in ecology, in the sense that the believer knows the answer why we are taking care of things. It's because we are taking care of what belongs to God. 
earth care is a compassion issue. And we are called to care. We're called to love our neighbor. And certainly that would include those harmed by soil degradation, air pollution, water pollution. Certainly we do want to pay attention to that. We want to be aware of that. May we love our Father's world. May we love our Father's world. And may this love come from the the logical outworking of our love for Christ by caring what belongs to him. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the Bible proclaims. Let's pray.